Hey familia, Pastor Eric Solomon here with just a few announcements for you before we get started this morning. Next Sunday, January 29th, we will have our annual meeting at 2.30 p.m. right here in the West Worship Center. This is the time where we as a church family get together to celebrate what God has done over the past year. Members get a chance to vote on new elders and a church clerk, as well as approve the 2022 financial report and proposed 2023 ministry financial plan. I want you to be sure to stop by the welcome desk on your way out so you can grab one of our informational packets about the meeting. We'd love to see you there. And Familia, if you haven't joined a life group yet or gotten plugged into one of our Bible studies or support groups or, or, or care groups or adult communities, we, we highly, highly encourage you to get connected in community here at Wheaton Bible Church. We believe that God created us to live in community, that this is a place where we can build friendships as well as be encouraged and challenged in our walk with Jesus as Familia. So I want you to be sure to check out wheatonbible.org groups for more ways you can get connected here. Well, Familia, I'm excited that you're here with us this morning. Let's worship together as a family. Worship together as a family. The orchestra and organ have encouraged us to praise him, praise him together. Exodus 15, 11 says, There is none like the Lord, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. And Psalm 150 verse 2 says, come and praise him according to his excellent greatness. So that's what we're here to do this morning. Let's stand and praise the Lord together.
we read this reading together from Psalm 105 responsively, the men will start us. Give, Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he for he remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. He brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. Praise the Lord.
structures, plausibility structures. That's a term that sociologists use to describe how a person is gradually transformed. What sociologists say is that we are transformed by the practices we have. Plausibility structures is this idea that we are the product of our experiences, the things that we have heard, the things that we have uh, seen, the things that we have gone through, and the things we practice. Their argument is that we are only changed when over time we practice certain things time and time again. Did you know that that's a concept that not only sociologists have, it's a concept that actually C.S. Lewis had. Oftentimes, he would talk about the necessity of us doing certain things as Christians so we can be transformed into the image of Christ. This is one of the reasons why C.S. Lewis would say that our corporate, um, uh, our corporate behavior, the physical, our physical behavior influences our inner being. Singing influences your transformation. Raising your hands influences your transformation. Reading the Bible influences your transformation. Praying influences or, or changes uh, or moves, your trans, uh, moves you in transformation. We are beings that are only transformed by practices time and time again. And I believe that this is one of the reasons why the Bible is so emphatic about communion. See, we just declare with our mouths that God is worthy and that he is holy. See, the only way we get to believe that more and more and more and more is when we have practices, the practices of singing, the practices of, the practice of praying, the practice of reading the Bible, and the practice of participating in communion. See, what we're doing here is we are remembering time and time again, we are celebrating time and time again that our Lord, our God is worthy. Why? Not only because he is God and holy, but because he is the God that is holy, that is also love. And because he is love, he went to the cross to die for us. See, this is one of the reasons why as Christians, communion is so important. And today, before participating in communion, we want to do two things. We want to take the time to recite one of the um, Christian confessions, because even when we recite Christian confessions, we are shaping our hearts into the people that we want to be. And then we want to take some time to see what our heart is, and then participate in communion. Amen? Amen. This celebration is for those of us who have already placed our faith in Jesus Christ. If you are not sure if that's your case, I'm going to ask you to please uh, do not participate for now. Take this as an opportunity for you to come to him. And if you do that, then you can participate. Let's recite the Apostles' Creed together this morning. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. 
He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life I'm going to ask you to take a few seconds, think about what you just read, and see if your life is in alignment to what you just proclaimed. And if that's not the case, take the time to repent. Remove the, the cover from the side of the cup where you find the bread. And the Bible says that the Lord Jesus, and the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may participate. from the second side of the cup. And the scripture says that in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You may participate. Lord and Savior, we are grateful That you give us much more than just information. We are grateful, Lord, that you designed us to be people that are shaped and transformed by the practices you have given us. Lord, and just as these elements enter into our system, because of what we just did, Lord, we pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the confession that we just made enter into our hearts. So we may live in light of what we already have and who we already are. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says. We respond to communion today by proclaiming together the power of the cross. And so this next song, it takes us through the whole story of what happened and how we were saved. Let's stand.
Good morning, church family. I'm Bill Oberlin, pastor of Global Outreach. As we continue in worship this morning, I want to invite our ushers to come to the front. As we re receive uh, your offerings and passing the plates, uh, remember you can give online through uh, gift to the church office as well. Uh, but as we think about our offerings this morning, may how we worship, what we give in our offerings be proportional to the mercy and generosity that our God has shown us. May our offerings be a genuine reflection of our hearts in loving back our God. Ushers, you may now pass the plates. At this moment, I'd like you to consider as well a different way that you can contribute to Christ's ministry through Wheaton Bible Church. For decades, members of our church have given of their time and talents in participating in Go Teams. Go Teams are brief trips of groups of our church family serving alongside our global missionaries and partners of our church uh, in, in serving overseas. Uh, since the 1980s, WBC GO teams have given members of our congregation inspiration and insight by being on-site with our international workers. It allows us to serve alongside them in a wide variety of ways. Uh, GO teams are also a great way for you to meet family in Christ you've never met before, people from other contexts and cultures as we join in our common mission to love the nations in Christ's name. I want to be sure you know that following a two-year press pause during the pandemic, uh, GO teams are back on in full for 2023. Over the next three months, a team of one of our adult communities will be walking alongside our partner in Israel. Uh, guys from our church will be rebuilding homes destroyed by a wildfire in California. Our WBC Young Adult Fellowship will be pouring into under-resourced children and youth in the Dominican Republic through Kids Alive Ministries. This morning, I also want to nudge you to consider joining an open all-church go team in Greece the first week of July. Now, to take a, a page out of Hannibal's playbook, uh, look at the person next to you and say, pay attention. This is for you. You should pray about this. Some of you know our missionary Jonathan McCreese, who was our speaker at Missions Fest back in October. You may remember Jonathan shared about Operation Joshua. 
Hellenic Ministries' 10-year project to distribute one and a half million New Testaments in modern Greek language throughout his homeland. This July, Operation Joshua aims to complete this 10-year project, delivering over 150,000 New Testaments to homes in rural villages near Athens. Bringing the Word of God in modern Greek language to a nation where the gospel once flourished, but among whom now less than 1% of Greeks would claim a transforming faith in Christ. Would you consider joining hundreds of volunteers from dozens of nations to be a part of Operation Joshua in Greece this July? You can search Go Teams on our WBC website. You'll also see a link on the home page of our website, or you can contact me, Pastor Bill, for more information. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, from our congregation's inception 94 years ago, you instilled in this church your heart for the nations. You've sent out hundreds of our members as missionaries and call us to partnership with them in your grand mission to bless the peoples of every skin color, culture, and country in Christ. Lord, we lift up our GO teams heading out in these next three months. May you enable us to serve as ambassadors of goodwill among villages in Israel. Give us compassion in standing alongside those who've lost homes to wildfires in California and give us skill to help them rebuild. Work through our young adults in affirming the dignity of at-risk youth in the DR as they seek to open wider doors of opportunity for those teens. We lift up as well Operation Joshua this July in Greece. Lord, would you give us a share alongside fellow servants from many nations offering your word to families in Greece where the gospel message uh, transformed this nation in centuries past. Lord, extend your kingdom and build your church through our GO teams and the partners we serve. Lord, this morning we also recognize Sanctity of Life Sunday. And we come before you contemplating Psalm 139 that tells us you lovingly fashioned each of us within our mother's body. That the entire scrapbook of our lives was open before you before we drew our first breath. That we are made in a way that should draw forth wonder, awe, and reverence from our souls. Lord, you've put your fingerprint upon every human life and you endow us with immense value and dignity. We pray that the erasing of human life by abortion would become rare in our society. Move us as individuals and through your wider church to provide love and support to women with unexpected or unwanted pregnancies. Bring healing to those who have participated in abortion. 
you are merciful and you are the comforter of those in distress. Help families serving with safe families and those who are courageously opening their hearts and homes to children by adoption and foster care. Lord, may we value life as you value life in all its seasons, caring for the elderly as well as struggling parents and children at risk. By your Spirit, empower us to become literally the hands and feet of Jesus for those swallowed up by difficulty. That your name would be honored. Amen. Uh, We want to continue now with our scripture reading for the morning. Uh, Today's reading is from Matthew 14, 14, 22 through 36. You can find this on page 78 of your journal. Would you stand now as we participate in the reading of God's word? From the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. This is the word of the Lord. There are some people that are really hard to love and some people that is so easy to love. Pastor Bill Overland is one of those. And we are so grateful for you and your ministry, brother. 
Good morning, familia. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, and I want to welcome you all to Wheaton Bible Church. And as you just saw, we are returning today to the Gospel of Matthew, and we are studying our second year into the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, God willing, we're going to finish with the Gospel of Matthew by the end of the year. So the text we looked at today, Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 uh, 30, uh, to 36, comes right right after this amazing miracle Jesus performed. Um, just in case you didn't read it in your Bible, or if you were, you can't remember when we preached this, like, I don't know, three months ago. Um, Jesus um, turns this lunchable, these five loaves of bread and two fish, into this crazy thing that feeds 5,000 people. He turns a lunchable into a feast. Uh, yeah, I don't think you got it. He turns a lunchable into a feast. And there was so much left over that the text says that there were 12 basketfuls of broken pieces, meaning it's a little bit of fish, a little bit of bread, a little bit of everything there. Um, and, and just just to make it even more interesting, those basket uh, that baskets mentions there in the Old, in the New Testament are usually like a human sized baskets. So there's twelve baskets full of this powerful miracle. Now I, I want you to imagine for a second what would happen if Jesus takes now those twelve baskets full of leftovers. And performs another miracle. How many people can Jesus feed, uh, feed now with 12 baskets of Lunchables? I, I think that that's a, a powerful image. And, and I think that some people, sometimes they miss the point of the miracle. Actually, I can't remember when, but I remember hearing or reading someone talking about this text and saying, wait, hold on a second, that can't be true. What I want to know is, where did Jesus got the baskets from? And I'm like, what? That is not the point of the miracle. Who cares? Who cares if it was plastic bags? I don't care. That was not the point of the miracle. See, I think that, that person was missing the point. And I want you to see that also the disciples missed the, the point. Actually, in the Gospel of Mark, we'll find also this story. Interesting, this miracle is in all four, four of the Gospels. But in the Gospel of Mark, it tells us that the disciples did not understand this miracle because their hearts were hard. So what we're going to see today, the event that we're looking at today, it's something that explains why is it that the disciples needed to go through this storm and why is it that we need to understand what happened in this storm because maybe, just maybe, we are like the disciples. Maybe we don't fully understand what we need to understand just yet. So these are my three points for today. We're going to talk about the Lord in the storm, the Lord for the storm, and the Lord of the storm. The Lord in the storm, for the storm, and of the storm. Let's go with point number one, the Lord in the storm. So Jesus performed this miracle, 
And the Gospel of John says that people were so impressed by this miracle that they want to take Jesus by force and make him a king. I'm going to talk about that later on. But right after that, it says that Jesus went to pray. Now, right before that, in verses 22 and 23, Jesus um, made the disciples get in the boat. He dismisses the people. And then he goes and spends about five or six hours praying before the Father. And I'm also going to talk about that later on. Once again, we see that in the Gospel of John, uh, Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Matthew. And actually, the Gospel of Luke as well. All of the Gospels. But look at what happened here in verse 24. And the boat was already at a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, we cannot forget who the people in the boat, in the boat are. These are fishermen. These are people that are used to being in uh, awkward, complicated uh, situations. They, they are used to being in storms before. Now, because of the other Gospels, we know that these guys are about three miles away from the shore. And because of the other Gospels, we also know that they probably have been navigating through this storm for about 10 hours. So Jesus dismisses the people. He goes to pray. The disciples are three miles away from the shore. And they had, he had taken it about 10 miles, them uh, navigating through this storm. Uh, 10 hours navigating through this storm. But I want you to pay attention to the word buffeted. Because that word can also be translated as storm or torture. And I think that Matthew is intentional here about using this word because he wants to describe how violent this storm was. Ten hours this uh, professional fisherman had been struggling with this storm. Now, it is now by like sometime between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. That's how I know how much Jesus has been praying. And look at what happened in verse 25. Shortly before dawn, that's how we know the time, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Now, notice, not swimming and not floating. Walking. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now, before we dig into the text, let me ask you a question. What happened to the storm when Jesus started walking on water? You know, I caught myself assuming that when Jesus started to walk on water, the storm stopped. Okay, how many, how many of you guys actually thought that before? How many of you guys never thought of that? How many of you guys don't care? <laughs> See, I found, I, I found it super interesting that that was my inclination. So you know that when you read the Bible and see the story, you imagine things, right? And I could actually have a picture of Jesus. Like, I have this picture of Jesus walking on water, and for some reason, the storm disappears. But that is not what the text says. The text says that Jesus is walking on water and the storm is still going. And we know that because in verse 32, 32 it says, And when they, talking about Jesus and Peter, climbed into the boat, 
into this violent, in the middle of this violent storm, wind died down. So I don't want you to miss this because in the midst of everything that we're going to talk about for the next two hours, are ha it's happening right in the middle of the storm. I want you to see that everything that we're about to see, the behavior of the disciples, what Jesus said, the interaction between Jesus and, and, and Peter, all of that stuff is happening right in the middle of the storm, and there is a reason for that. Now let's go back then. And in verse 26 says that the disciples were terrified and full of fear. It's kind of a description of a full panic attack. Once again, they are in the middle of this violent storm. And they see Jesus walking on, on water. And for a fragment of time, it seems like if they forgot about the storm. And they are terrified or petrified because now they're seeing Jesus walk on water. Now, I'm going to say it 20,000 times today. In the middle of the storm. Now, from a human perspective, that makes sense. Right? It doesn't matter how, how complicated things are out here. If you see someone walking on water, that's scary. Actually, as you read, they thought that he was a ghost. In the middle of the storm. You know what's interesting about this narrative though? That this is the second time they have been in a storm. If you have been walking with us through the Gospel of Matthew, you may remember that in Matthew chapter 8, there was another storm in which Jesus was there and the disciples were there. And the description of that storm in Matthew chapter 8 is a furious storm that came up, that came up on the lake. Just as bad as this one. And when, when they are in the middle of the storm, Jesus is taking a nap. Remember that? And they, they cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, save us. We are going to drown. And in the middle of this crazy storm, Jesus wakes up and says, You little faith, why are you so afraid? If I was one of the disciples, I'll be like, because I'm in the middle of the storm. And Jesus doesn't say much more than that. And then he looks around, he looks at the storm and rebuked the wind and the waters, uh, the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. And I explained back then, that was like three years ago, that when Jesus said that, when he speaks to the waters, he is not like, in the name of God. He goes to the storm and goes, shh, relax, baby. <laughs> now, you would think that the disciples would learn the lesson, right? I mean, that was powerful enough. You are in the storm. Jesus is with you. He wakes up. He speaks to the storm and everything is completely cool, relaxed, peace. You would think that the disciples would learn that Jesus, as God, has power over nature. That he speaks to nature and nature submits. You would think that because they had been walking with Jesus, they would have learned already that if Jesus speaks to a lunchable and he feeds 5,000 people, they would learn the lesson. Don't you think? 
but they still don't get it. The question is why? Now, I want you to turn your attention for a second to Peter. Because Peter, inside the boat, in the storm, is going through the same struggle that everybody else is. He is also terrified. And yet, there's something about Peter's faith that we got to pay attention to. Because he's about to do something extremely crazy. Look at what it says in verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, I, I, want you to, I want you to stay there for a second because when Peter uses the word Lord, he's making a confession. He is calling Jesus God. He is saying that Jesus is the master of everything. So when Peter, in the middle of the storm, is calling Jesus Lord, he means it. And I want you to see something about his faith. Look at what he's saying to Jesus. If you are really Jesus, if you are really Jesus, if you're really God, then tell me to come to you walking on water as well. That's crazy, church. Like, who does that? Would you do that? In the middle of the storm? Would you tell Jesus, come on, if you're Jesus, how about if I walk on water just like you do? Remember that he thought that Jesus was maybe a ghost. And yet he's calling Jesus Lord. Notice that he doesn't say to Jesus, hey Jesus, how about if I swim to you? Hey Jesus, throw me the floaties. I'll float to you. No, 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 no. He says to Jesus, I want to walk on water. I want to go to you. Church, listen, this is why the Bible is so amazing. Because Jesus does not rebuke him. Jesus doesn't say to him, how dare you, Peter? How come you want to be like me walking on water? He doesn't say any of that. You know what he says in verse 28, 29, right at the beginning? Come. What? Like, come. You know, I, I try, when I, when I try to understand the text, I put myself in the situation in which I'm reading. And, and I got to be completely honest. If, the, if I was Peter in that boat in the storm, and I see Jesus walking on water, and I say, Jesus, if you are Jesus, let me walk to you. And Jesus responds, yeah, Hannibal, come. I'll be like, I, I'm just kidding, Jesus. I was just bluffing. <laughs> hey, it's kind of windy right now. I'll wait for you to get here. And this is where we can learn something about Peter's faith. Verse 29, the second part. Peter got down off the boat. Walked on water. Came toward Jesus. Let that sink for a second. A sinful little faith tiny broken human being is willing to step out of the boat and by God's power he's walking on water and if there's listen the tendency is to see Peter as a bad example of faith 
And many times he was. But not here. Here you see this man willing by faith to step out of the boat in the middle of the storm. You know why that's important? Because Christian faith does not play it safe. Christian faith many times requires risk and stepping out of the boat. Even if it doesn't make any sense and even if it's not safe. See, if there is something that the Western world needs to learn about the global church is that many times faith is risky. It is so easy to believe, so hard to be willing to sacrifice and risk it all. My conviction is that many of us in the Western world must repent of a faith that does not require sacrifice. I think that one of the things that we got to repent of in the Western world is because we are so addicted to safety and comfort that risking in the name of Jesus is not a thing. There's so much that we can learn from Peter. Broken little faith, Peter. Now look at what happened in verse 30. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. This is the very man that before has said, Lord, if you are you, I want to walk on water. Now says, Lord, the same term, save me. Look at Jesus' reaction in verse 31. No, you messed up, buddy. Where is your faith? No, 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 no. That's not what happens. The text says that immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And then he said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? In the middle of the storm. What can we learn from this? I believe that this is the perfect picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is a picture of what it means to be people of faith. See, he doesn't call Peter, he doesn't tell Peter, you lack faith. Did you notice that? He says that Peter is a man of little faith. Peter is a man that has imperfect faith, partial faith, immature faith, little faith. And yet, he's a man of faith. And that explains why is it that the storm was necessary. That explains why Jesus is walking on water in the storm, is having this conversation with Peter in the storm, calls Peter walk on water in the storm, and allows Peter to start sinking in the storm. 
Because even though Peter was a man of faith, he was still a human being that had the tendency to look away. And it is when we look away that we lack trust, that we doubt, that we don't cling to Jesus. This is an example of what it means to be a human being wanting to follow Jesus. The storm was necessary because Peter needed to go through this to grow into trusting and obeying and not doubting Jesus. So Jesus does not rebuke him for his lack of faith. He's calling him to stop being a man of little faith. How about if I tell you that that's your case and that's my case? It doesn't matter how long you have been walking with the Lord. You are still a person of little faith. I am still a person of little faith. My faith is too imperfect. My faith is too partial. My faith is too immature. And that's why God allows or brings the storm. So in the middle of the storm, I get to be shaped into the person that he wants me to be. Have you ever thought of your sufferings that way? See, I wish that sometimes I will be the type of person that would, just, that would just learn if God just tells me what to do. See, I wish that as a community of faith, we will be just the people that if God tells you what to do and what to believe, we do. But that is not the case. There are things that we only learn when Jesus allows the storm. And he takes me to the point in which I must say again, Lord, save me. How about if I tell you that the Peter and the disciples that had to deal with the storm at the end of this journey, had a stronger faith than at the beginning of it. Yeah, you know how I know that? Because of verse 32. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is not brand new information, you know? Now they get to see it more. Now they get to experience it more. Now they get to love it more. Now they get to experience this better, good, powerful, amazing God that even though they believed before, now they do it more. That's why we need the Lord in the storm. Amen? Do me a favor. Tell the, the person next to you, you need the Lord in the storm. Go ahead, go ahead. Point number two, not only we need the Lord in the storm, but we need the Lord for the storm. Now, this is super interesting because when Jesus is dealing with Peter and actually the rest of the disciples, because they all get to see this, Jesus does not turn around and tells the disciples, you know what, you got to magnify your faith. If you want to survive the storm, make sure you magnify your faith. Like if we have the power to magnify our faith. 
don't know if you ever tried this, but I've tried this. When I lack faith, if I go, I'm going to have more faith. 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 I'm going to have, I could do that for hours. And nothing happens with my faith. Because faith is not this thing that you can just work out. You can work out your salvation, but you cannot work out your faith, in a sense. What Jesus is doing here to help them grow in faith is to magnify himself. That's how we grow. When Jesus is magnified, when God is magnified in the storm. Our faith only grows when it's bound to our view and experience of God. I think I shared this with you years ago. Yeah, it had to be years ago. Or maybe months, I don't know. I've never forgotten about these missionaries, this church in Africa that are welcoming a number of missionaries from the United States. And the lady says to the missionaries, welcome our brothers and sisters from America to the place where we love God more. And they're like, what? Because we have to suffer more. And there's something about that that is true. Our faith grows when we are put into a situation in which God needs to be magnified. That was the experience that Peter went through. He did not grow in faith because he tried harder. He did not grow in faith because he was more disciplined. He did not grow in faith because he knew more Bible verses even though he needs them. He grew in faith because he got to see and experience Jesus in a different way. Much better way, much powerful way, much more beautiful way. And we see it in verse 30. It says that Peter is walking on water, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sing, cried out, Lord, save me. The word saw there is not just talking about the physical act of seeing. The word saw in the original is seeing to a, in a way that influences your thinking. It's seen as to process. It's seen as to uh, considering in his mind. So look at what's happening to Peter. And this is how he was growing. He already showed the kind of faith he had. He walked on water. But when he started to look around and to think about the things that was happening in his environment, his thoughts started to get into his head. How about if I sink? How far can I go? What if this happens? What if, what if, what if, what if? And then as he's doing this, part of the reason why Jesus says, why do you doubt? Is because he started to questioning who Jesus was. How about, he, how about if Jesus is not the son of God? How about if he doesn't care enough? What if this guy is a ghost and not Jesus? And then... He starts to sink. What is interesting though, 
is that before he goes through all of this, Jesus had already told them what he needed to do in order for him to actually take courage. That comes in verse 27. Right in the middle of the storm, Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now, this is a key. This is the, this is the center of the, whole pa- of the whole passage. Because Jesus is calling the disciples and Peter, take courage. It is I. And when Jesus uses the term, it is I, he's using in the original actually the term, I am. The translation will be, take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. And if you remember where that, where that name comes from, this is the first time we see that name is in Exodus chapter 3 when God is introducing himself to Moses. Remember that? For those of you that are not familiar with the story, the Israelites had been in, in, in Egypt for 400 years in slavery. 400 years. And God is about to deliver him using Moses, which by the way is also a man of little faith. And the text says that the angel of the Lord, I need you to keep that in mind, that the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire. And he told Moses what he needed to do. Yeah, I'm going to use you, you're going to deliver these people, all of these things. And, Mo- and Moses says to the angel of the Lord, who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. I am will be with you. And then he says, when you have brought them out, you will worship me in this mountain. So he's saying, I'm going to be with you, and I guarantee you that you will get out. Now, Moses had this tendency to always struggle with his faith. A lot like me. And he starts putting all these excuses to not respond to the, what the Lord is calling him to do. One, one of the excuses is this. How about if someone asks me who is sending me? What should I say? And God said to Moses, say that I am who I am. That I am is the one that is sending you. That I am the Lord, uh, the Lord, the God of your fathers. That I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then he's basically saying, take courage. Don't be afraid. I am is with you. Now, we know enough about that term, that, about that name, that when God uses that name, it's one of the ways in which he shares with us that he is a God of covenants. Right? That he sticks around with his people. That he never walks around. That he never walks away. I am, he says, I am that God. We also know that that name means that God is self-sufficient. I am does not need help. I am does not need your help. I am does not need my help. He is God. I am. We also know that I am means that he defines who he is. We don't define who he is. We don't adjust him into our imagination. He is who he is. Now, if you go back to Matthew chapter 14, Jesus, in the middle of the storm, is telling Peter and the rest of the disciples, take courage. I am. 
I am the angel of the Lord that appeared to Moses in Exodus. I am the God that makes covenants and never walks away. I am the self-sufficient God. I am all-powerful. I am the great God. I am the God that defines himself and nobody gets to define me. I am the God that is with you in this storm. I am the God that will not walk away regardless of how you feel and the dumb things you do. I am with you. Take courage. Don't be afraid. I am is here. Can you see what he's doing? Magnifying himself as Peter is looking away. And that's how we grow. So please don't hear that when Jesus says to the disciples, don't be afraid, he's saying, get a hold of your fears, Hannibal. Control your fears. Can, church, can, can you do that? Can you actually control your fears? Can you actually say to your fears, I'm not going to be afraid, I'm not going to be afraid, I'm not going to be afraid. Does that work? Do you have control over your emotions like that? Your emotions, does not, they, they don't submit to your will. Your will and your faith submits to the magnitude of the God you have. Our fears dissipate when we get a big picture of who Jesus is. We grow in faith when Jesus is magnified. When we know who he is, how he is, and the things that he could do. When we see Jesus in the middle of the storm as the great I am. I actually think that part of the reason why even as Christians we struggle with this thing, with fear, with doubt, with all of these things, it's either because we think that by willpower we can increase our faith, which is a terrible mistake, or because the God that we have in our minds is not the great I am, but the God that I want to have. I'm going to use this, I'm going to use what's happening here as an illustration. In the last five to ten years, there's had been a whole group of people, um, uh, former Christian influencers, if you will, many of them leaders, that started to talk about deconstructing your faith. People that for some reason at one point believed in Jesus and worshipped Jesus, and some of them were pastors and leaders, and then they started to walk away because somehow the God that they had before didn't match the God that they wanted. One of the main reasons for many of them, and why is it that they walked away from faith, is because they would say something like this. I cannot believe that a good God can allow suffering this way. You know what's the problem with that statement? That that God was the product of their own imagination. Because the God of the Bible does allow the storm. And he brings the storm. But not just to make you suffer. But to turn you into the person that he wants you to be. And so your faith grows. 
And that you get to see him from a different perspective. A more beautiful, more powerful, more perfect, more committed, more sufficient, self-sufficient God. So we and we are walking in the middle of the storm. Our God, the great I am, still there. Shaping you into the person that he wants you to be. And there is no way around that. I know a lady that grew up in Christianity. And when she was growing up in Christianity, she saw some awful things. And I believe that that caused that lady to walk away from Jesus for like 25 years. That lady in about age 40, 40 something, in the middle of a major storm in her, in her life, after suffering and being rejected and a bunch of different things, she got this encounter in the middle of her storm with this beautiful, powerful, perfect, great I am Jesus. And she's now in her 70s. And I know her so much that I know that if she will be in the boat with Peter, and Jesus says, come, that lady will outrun Peter. <laughs> you know why? Because she tasted the great I am in the middle of her storm. As much as we don't like it, we do need the Lord in the storm and the Lord for the storm. Point number three, not only we need that, but we need the Lord of the storm. Remember when I talked about plausibility structures? I told you that the argument is that we are shaped into the people we are, into the things that we value and in things that we believe, by the amount of practices and things that we have. We are the product of everything that we practice. And I want to go back for a second and bring to mind the image of people wanting Jesus to become a king. Because the text says that after that happened, Jesus went to pray. And apparently, from what we see in the text, he probably prayed like four, five, six hours in a row. Now, when you check the scholars, and the scholars have different opinions about this, but at least two opinions are, are the most uh, popular. They say that part of the reason why Jesus went to pray is because he did not want it to be tempted into becoming the king that people wanted him to be, but he wanted to be the king that God the Father called them to be. That's one option. The other option, people would say, is that part of the reason why he went to pray for so long is because he knew that the cross was around the corner and he wanted to prep himself for that. Now, regardless of what the reason was, it doesn't matter. What we do know is that Jesus teaches that the way you confront life is by practices, spiritual practices like prayer. Therefore, as Christians, if we want to see Jesus magnified in the midst of the storm, you cannot do without prayer. You cannot do without the Bible. You cannot do without community. You cannot do without communion. You cannot do without spiritual disciplines that we must have in place. 
But behind all of that, there's one practice that informs all other practices. And it's the practice of reminding yourself of the gospel. Of Jesus and him crucified. Why? Really simple. If you remember when we were participating in communion, Jesus says that he is our God of covenants. Part of the reason why we need to go back to the gospel time and time again, part of the reason is because we need to remember that the great I am is a God of covenants. That when he comes to you and he brings you to him, that relationship cannot be broken even in the middle of the storm. That regardless of how you feel, how you behave or misbehave, if you repent, you come to him, he never walks away. And with this, I want to finish. There is an image in this text that you cannot forget because he shows the power of the cross. You remember Peter walking on water? And you remember how he looked away? That's you and that's me. Even if we had been walking on water before. And it's when he looked away that he starts to sink. You know who was the only person that never looked away? Jesus. That's the covenant God. That even if you look away, what matters is that he doesn't. Amen. What matters is that he sticks with you. And that where you're sinking, he grabs a hold of you and rescues you once again. And that's, my brothers and sisters, how we continue to grow in our faith. We need the Lord in the storm. We need the Lord for the storm. And we need the Lord of the storm. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we recognize that we are a lot like Peter. Even those of us that have already placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Even those of us that have been walking with you for a long time. We are still people of little faith. But we want to grow. And we recognize that the only way we get to grow is when you allow the storm. Please help us, Lord, practice the things that we need to practice. Turn, make of us people of prayer and people of the word and people of community and people of worship and people that, that practices the spiritual disciplines that we need in order for us to see you as the great I am, the covenant God, the also self-sufficient God. But Lord, please take us to the cross and leave us there. 
Because there we can see the great I am going through the storm of his life. The storm that would take his life away so we wouldn't lose ours. Take us there because there we could see that you have made a covenant with us and that even when we look away, you never do. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus, and we all say. Sometimes after a message, especially one like that, you know you need to apply it and you need to let it sink in, but sometimes it's hard. And so today, we have a great gift for you. Ross found a song that is the message in music. And so enjoy. Don't worry about the waves. together yeah right I'm gonna destroy the music here let's receive how about we stand and we receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us the God of the storm 
that says to us, do not worry about the, do not worry about the waves. Even if you look away, I won't. Amen? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that his ways may be known on earth and his salvation among all the nations. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. You are sent. Storm clouds on the horizon and the white cap water is arising and the Lord's called you out of the boat today. So start walking on the water and don't worry about the waves. Though the lightning's flashing all around you and the water's trying to drown you and the boat's getting farther and farther away. Just keep walking on the water and don't worry about the waves. Don't worry about the waves. They're gonna rise, they're gonna fall. But the Lord is in control. Don't worry about the waves. When you're walking on the water of faith, keep your eye on the one who saves. Don't worry about the waves. Jesus is faithful and the one who calls you is able. He will give you the power to trust and obey. So stop walking on the water and don't worry about the waves. Don't worry about the waves. They're going to rise, they're going to fall. But the Lord is in control. Don't worry about the waves. Walking on the water of faith, keep your eye on the one who saves. Don't worry about the waves, they're gonna rise, they're gonna fall. But the Lord is in control, don't worry about the waves. When you're walking on the water of faith, keep your eye on the one who saves. Don't you go 